0: Broadcasting across the galaxy, you're listening to Radio Dakar, a Star Wars podcast dedicated to the animated series, Star Wars Resistance. Alright, hello again everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Radio Dakar. I am your host, Doug Brooks, and we are reviewing... Star Wars Resistance Episode 2 The Triple Dark And I will s- start from the beginning and say of the early episodes that they released on the Disney Now app this was my favorite one. So much I love about this episode that I'll get into. It really does a good job setting the tone for the series. The premiere episode The Recruit was great. Setting up where we are in the galaxy and everything, but this episode was just a lot of fun, getting to know more about our characters. And let's get right into it. The first thing we see is the Colossus, when it's very overcast and gray, the water is kind of picked up a little more rough. I mentioned last episode, one of my favorite things is this animation is just so beautiful with the way... In last episode, they portrayed the Colossus during daytime, at dusk, during the night. And so we get another example of what they can do with the setting. It's all gray, and you got the lightning coming in. Just amazing work by Amy Beth Christensen and the whole animation team. And you get a little bit more how the day works for a team fireball with the eager taking on a quick turnaround job uh, for this nemoidian and it's great to see nemoidians in the sequel era you've wondered because they were such a major collaborator with the confederacy and uh, all the dealings of the trade federation i would love as an aside to see what happened to them as a society after the Clone Wars because we don't really get that we never have seen them in the original trilogy era even as a retcon and this is the first Nemoiden we've seen it in the, the sequel era as we find out he's shady as usual but they were so well established in the prequels that it would be interesting to see more of them so I'm glad we did get to see one so you has a job for Team Fireball But at the same time, we see Kaz starting to settle in. He does have a few possessions. He's emptying out his backpack. And he mentioned if he knew he wasn't going home again. That's a bit of a foreshadowing because we know he is from Hosnian Prime and Hosnian Prime will not exist in six months. So, and I mentioned last episode about you know, whether or not his dad might die or be a collaborator he, he's gonna have to, he is gonna have to deal with his home planet being gone. So I thought that was an interesting line they threw in. And also when he's working on the Nemoidian ship with Niku, they're talking about what a stormtroopers look like under the helmet. I thought that was perhaps more foreshadowing with Finn. Because we, in The Force Awakens, see what is under the helmet for a typical First Order Stormtrooper. I, I would be interested to see if, if they go this route, if they, we get to a point where Resistance blends with post-Last Jedi, does Kaz meet Finn? because I would really love to see his reaction to meeting a former stormtrooper. Oh, you were not what I imagined, or maybe you were. There's a lot of possibilities there, so... I really think in the very first part of this episode they were trying to set up what the lives of these people is going to be like. They're not going home again, literally, and then... And maybe getting to meet a stormtrooper. I hope that happens. Uh, I mean, that's a long ways from now. Maybe end of the season, but it would be interesting. Plus, it'd be a chance for John Boyega to be on the show. Also, Daisy Ridley as Rey. Back when I did the episode where I talked about who we might see on the show, I didn't even think about Finn and Rey, just because of the timeline. I didn't know they were going to blend the movies. And Daisy's already done Forces of Destiny, so I'm sure both of them would be agreeable to doing voice acting. That's just an aside, but just an interesting thing I thought from the conversation. Uh, we, we also got the first mention of Coruscant in what is prob- probably the whole sequel era, when Kaz is trying to cover and tells Tam that's where he's from, and That, Yeah, he went to the... No, he didn't go to the Mechanics Academy. He kind of studied on his own. It almost reminded me of in Coming to America when Akeem is coming up with this cover story for why he's in America and working at McDowell's. He's like, oh, I go to the University of the United States. It is so small, we don't even have a basketball team. That's kind of the improv that I thought of when Kaz was... Trying to get Tam off his back. I will get to Tam later. I have some theories on her. And we also another what I actually wasn't um when Ye- Yeager. Brings out everybody's share because they got paid. And he's handing out, you get the uh, Tam, you get this much, Niku, you get this much, and Kaz here's a little bit. If any of you have seen the movie Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which came out in the 80s, it has Michael Caine and Steve Martin as the stars. It's about con men and playing the long con in um, this French Riviera city. And there's a scene in that movie where Steve Martin's learning from Michael Caine's character. And he's dividing out you know, all the money they've swindled from people. And he's like, okay, the security gets this much and the butler gets this much. And then uh, Steve Martin's character doesn't get any. He's like, I did most of the work. Why don't I get paid? And Michael Caine, he's, you're the student. You get knowledge. That was the vibe I got from Kaz only getting a little bit. Like, okay, you got to earn your share. <laughs> you haven't earned enough yet. Yeah, you've gotten the knowledge. I, I like. I say I asked Doc White if that was what they were thinking of when they wrote the scene, and he said maybe subconsciously. But I thought it, I thought it was funny. By the way, uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels was great because the reason I watched it originally as a kid was because Ian McDermott played the butler. And it was my first chance to see him outside of the Palpatine makeup. Which, a few years later, when The Phantom Menace came out, I already knew what he looked like, so I'm like, okay, he's definitely going to become the Emperor at some point and get scarred. So check that movie out. As you can see, I found a lot of little nods and things that amused me in the opening scene, but the whole purpose of the opening scene was Kaz is having this internal struggle. He knows he's there to be a spy and help Poe find out who the First Order collaborator is on the Colossus, but he's He's got this cover job. He's got to be a mechanic. And... A little bit of doesn't want to. A little bit of doesn't know how. He's wanting to focus on being a spy... Now that he's settled in, but... he, He needs... Yeager needs him to do his job. And... I mean, you can tell Yeager's being as patient as possible. But... He's got to be strict with him. He's like, I need those parts now. And so... Uh, I will say, we, we learn a little more about Yeager in the next episode. I don't want to spoil anything, because it's, it's interesting what we find out. But you can tell he's there to just keep his business running, stay afloat, you know, make sure his team gets paid. But he can't accommodate this, in many ways, privileged, kid who's there to do something else he he needs him to work um that's kind of the lesson here for the kids yeah you may have different jobs to do or different goals but you got to keep focused on what your boss needs or what your teacher needs and there may be a greater good in the other thing you're trying to do but you know don't neglect um what you're doing and you know it's a chance to learn. So you've got these conflicts with Kaz needs to be working on the ship, uh, He's Niku needs help, but the whole time he's like trying to figure out if the Nemoidian is shady or not, if he's the spy, what does the First Order spy look like? He's being distracted from doing his job and then it keeps going when Yeager sends him to a- acquisitions but he wants to make a pit stop at the marketplace and spy there. Which, I mentioned in the last episode, I love the marketplace as a setting on the Colossus. Just There's so much alien diversity there. It's really cool. They can throw in a lot of different species. And they mentioned that on Bucket's List this week, which is a great watch. Uh, also, the episode guide on StarWars.com has more information about that. Uh, a great place for Easter eggs, just different species you haven't maybe seen in a while. And then we, we see a little more. They sell fruits and breads, and, you know, um, uh, the gorgs are still there. Just so much fun you can have in that setting. And again, the music, so good this week. I really love what Michael Tavera did with the music during the marketplace scene with how upbeat and everything it was it reminded me of the music from raiders of the lost ark when indy and marion are getting chased around the, the little marketplace um, in egypt uh, it's very um, light-hearted kind of fast-paced music i it seemed like there was an homage to that very fun at the same time you have kaz sneaking around peering from behind carts give me a sense of Aladdin almost uh, the animated Disney version just a fun lighthearted scene because some of the rest of the episode gets a little more serious still very lighthearted because it is a kid's show but th- this scene in particular with the music and uh, Kaz's behavior was just really neat mistaking talking about gambling for first-order activities. And then we run into Greville again. I love Greville. I hope he is on the show a lot more. I mentioned him last week knowing that he was going to show up again this week. Uh, He's always... His beef with Kaz doesn't resolve at the end of the episode, so hopefully he does come back and is... So, somebody that he has to deal with on the on the platform. It was cool to see that it's D. Bradley Baker doing the voice, because he is a veteran of Star Wars animation, Clone Wars, Rebels. He's no stranger to this. He, he just plays Grevel so well. And I mentioned last week, uh, it, it's fun they brought back a prequel-era um, character. Uh, it's the Alina species. The fact he's so small... I think makes him even more memorable because he's such a tough character and he bosses around the ones who owe him money, makes them work for him. And here he is, this little alien as such a competent foil for Kaz. He's one of my favorites on the show. I hope they bring him back. I'm glad he was featured even more beyond just the seen it out Z's uh, from last episode. I mean, he continues on throughout the episode, catches up with Kaz again when the Triple Dark is about to come in. And next we get to the... Well, we've already seen it, but... The thing that features prominently in this episode is Kaz's racing trophy. The first trophy that he won from a race. And we find out it's made of erodium. Which, as Bucket's List and the episode guide mentioned, was first mentioned in a book that came out a long time ago called Rogue Planet, which was about one of young Obi-Wan's first adventures as a Padawan for Qui-Gon, and it's spelled A-U-R-O-D-I-U-M, and the significance is they started it with A-U because that is the symbol for gold on the periodic table. I love that because I am a science nerd, I love chemistry. I think the periodic table is the greatest discovery that we have ever made, that we figured out the elements, and that you can look at a chart and figure out how an element is going to behave. So that, that was just a geeky aside that I love, that's why they spelled it erodium with an AU. But the trophy is very important to Kaz. And, I mean, I could talk about it, but I'm going to just read the tweets that were made a couple of days ago by at Pohott Dameron, and I will give her credit for this on Twitter as well. She goes into a great analysis of the significance of the trophy and why I hope we see it later and that it may you got to think it's going to play an important part in a future story. Uh, so she says she wanna t- wants to talk about Kaz's trophy. I'm just going to read the tweets. It's made clear that the trophy is very valuable. Kaz could sell it, pay off his debts, live in luxury, but he declines every opportunity to trade it away because it reminds him of home. The emotional value is greater than any material value. But at the end, Kaz uses the trophy to pry open a door so that Greville can make it to safety, because no matter how valuable that trophy is, it's not worth more than a life. Greville isn't even grateful. For all we know, he'll continue to cheat and harm Kaz, but that doesn't matter. What mattered was saving a life. That's the essence of Star Wars to me, when we value life over our own desires. And Kaz knew that instinctively. He's a good one. I couldn't have said it any better. I mean, it's, you know, Greville wants to take it to resolve the debt. Orca tells him that he could live comfortably on the Colossus for months by selling that off. But it means too much to him. You know, he mentions, part of it's defiance against his father. But, you know, you always remember things that You know, he earned it. It was something he went out and did to get that. And it's not the value of the trophy itself. It's just a symbol of, you know, I did this at a point in my life where I needed to accomplish something or prove something. And at the same time, it does remind him of home. It's one of the few things he brought with him from a home that, as we know, will not be there. So, just a great thread throughout this episode can't say enough good things about it. I'm so glad that Pohot Dameron said it so eloquently on Twitter. So I will uh, you know, give her a shout out when I post um, the announcement of this episode just to, I hope it comes back and even though it's you know got a little damaged, it still saved a life. I hope, you know, even if we just see it on the shelf for a while in his quarters, but you got to think it's going to play a major part in something later on. So, great job by the writers on that. Yeah, Kevin Burke and Doc Wyatt wrote this episode. I've already given them salutations on Twitter about it. So many good things to say. But I'll move on. Let's get to Tam. At the beginning of the episode, we see her. You know, she's frustrated with Kaz not paying attention while he's trying to help Niku work on the Nemoidian ship. And then, when next we see her, she's pulling Kaz out of acquisitions. It, you know, where you been? We gotta get this part up up to the garage. Oh, I will say, um, a really neat tidbit from the episode guide is that that is actually a uniform she's wearing, it's not just technically casual wear, that workers on the platform do have a standardized look with the patches. You'll notice her patch has a little tool on it. And then janitorial and acquisitions also have their own patches. And uh, the color of the background signifies your expertise, so the fact that Tam has a red background on her patch means that she's expert mechanic or like the highest level. So that's, that's neat. That'll be a nice little thing to keep an eye on. Um, I love it when there's little things in there that help you pay attention. If any of you watch Better Call Saul, they have intentionally on that show used either warm tones or cool tones to let you know about the intentions of the characters or the severity of the scene. They typically use cool tones to let you know everything's okay, you know, these people are trustworthy. But as soon as you see someone in warm tones show up, that's when stuff's going to go down. That, just an aside, that, that show's brilliant, by the way, if you've watched Breaking Bad or, um but yeah uh, if you're watching Better Call Saul or going back and watching episodes just keep an eye out for color tones so yeah uh, that'd be something neat to go forward with when you see uh, one of the workers on the the Colossus just pay attention to their patch you know what color are they Um, where do they work just nice little details so Tam she's visibly upset when Kaz isn't concentrating on his work Okay, clearly, you know, she, as you can see from the first episode, she wants to get the fireball fixed. She wants to, you know, get back to where she was as a pilot. But I'm starting to wonder, is she getting so mad at Kaz and getting frustrated because he is keeping her from her mission as the First Order collaborator? Here's this new guy. He's not really concentrating on his work. And maybe is she worried about him blowing her cover? Because she can't focus on what she's doing? Susie McGrath is playing it really low-key. I mean, she's doing an outstanding job. His frustration with her position in Team Fireball that... You know, that that desire to get back to her glory as a pilot on Kuat. But there's just something underlying her performance. And you wonder if it's... I've also got a job to do for the First Order, and this guy is over here getting in my way. I may be totally off base on this. Uh, You know, I, I said last week, I really don't think it's Eager because why would he agree to take on a spy who's going to find him out unless he just totally throws him off the entire time and if it's going to be one of the major characters so far I think that Tam is the leader in the clubhouse just that performance of from Susie yeah Tam's got that drive but what else is she worried about I think that became a little more clear in this episode than last time. Because at the end of the recruit, she was still cheering on Kaz in the race. Or maybe she saw him as a way to help her at that point. But, you know, he kind of regressed as far as that goes in this episode, so she's getting frustrated again. So, we'll see. But that that was just kind of the feeling I got. And and people have speculated that it's her on Twitter. But I got more of a vibe of that from this episode. Just something to watch out for. Alright. So we get to the Triple Dark, which turns out is how the severity of the storm provides low cover for pirates to attack the platform. This was my son's favorite part. He loves pirates, what kid doesn't? It, I don't think he's ever realized that there's pirates in Star Wars, even though we've had Hondo and these other groups on the other shows. And even Han was referred to as a pirate by Lando. But when uh, the Rodian tells Kaz that Craig and Gore is a pirate, his my son's eyes just lit up. He's like, there's pirates? I say, yeah, here they come. So, yeah, he he enjoyed the pirate attack. And if it wasn't totally made clear on the episode, the episode guide fleshes it out. The pirates use old empire attire and weaponry and ships that was provided by the First Order because they, they, they're an imperial remnant. They had this stuff laying around and improved it to, for their own First Order ships. But they gave the Pirates, the, um, as part of their funding, old Imperial tech. So that's why you see them wearing Stormtrooper armor, and Kragan uh, has um, basically General Veers' outfit as a uh, Imperial commander. And the lead ship that he's flying is a Lambda-class shuttle. Highly repurposed, uh, hot rod style, extra weapons added. The Imperial Shuttle was one of my favorite ships from the original trilogy. I had the toy, loved everything about that, just the design and everything. And the fact they kitbashed it, so to say, and made it a pirate ship, totally cool. I hope they release that in some toy form. Hot Wheels or a little model or something, I would love to have that. And then you get uh, the other... um, Pirate ships that are, uh, again, hot rod style. And also, um, his co pilot is Sainara San, who I talked about last week is going to come out as an action figure. And now that we've seen her, um, it has been pointed out that she's in the extended trailer, so she has a bigger part to play. Uh, so the pirates are attacking the base or the platform. And the Aces, in their other capacity as defense for the Colossus, launch. And Michael Tavara just does great launching music, I guess you could say. Once they're all in their ships and they um, go out to fight off the pirates, his, his build-up is brilliant. The way he gets the music rolling and the excitement and then uh, they're on their way into the battle. I also love the whole approach. And I think that article on Bill George, they talked about it. Since it's an, an old Imperial platform and you know, that was the style of the Star Destroyers, that's why they launch from underneath the Colossus and not like an upper hangar bay. It, it's just a great effect, the lowering of the ships and going out with a different color uh, jet streams. Just a great visual, great music. And so they they also have the turrets. And it's neat, you know. They have a they have a warning system for the entire Colossus, and the uh, shields come down, uh, the turrets go, get active, the Aces launch. It reminded me of the animated Transformers the movie when the Decepticons attacked Autobot City, and they literally had to transform Autobot City manually to get it in battle mode. And there and there were turrets, and you know the different Transformers flying around. I don't know if that was an homage, but that's what it reminded me of. And more directly, it, especially when you have the, the ships swooping down underneath the Colossus, going around in the storm. It was so much like the Battle of Kamino on the Clone Wars series. And also, it's one of the playable locations in Battlefront 2 when you're in Starfighter mode. That you fight around uh, one of the uh, one of the cities in the Camino Ocean. It, it just looks so good. I hope we get more battles like this that are just visually beautiful uh, with the stakes of, you know, could the whole station fall? Now the... As we find out, you know, the Aces were kind of outmatched. That they needed Kaz... To figure out the trick with the feedback and disrupt the pirate ships so that they could be slowed down and then uh, take, um, at least delayed until they could uh, retreat. You know, on the surface, it doesn't seem like the the battle implements on the station and the aces are enough to fight off an attack like this. So even though at the end Phasma is Saying, I don't have you know, in so many words, I don't have enough faith in the pirates to do, to do this. I mean, they were kind of doing it until an unknown element, you know, took care of things or helped. And even Tora noticed that. She said, I don't think it was just us. So, I don't know if. We haven't yet met Captain Doza, her father, the person who runs the Colossus. If it's not Tam, I, I do wonder if Captain Doza turns out to be in league with the First Order, and he's like, okay, you know, send your pirates to attack and make it look good. Our defenses wouldn't be able to take care of them, and then, then I can hand it over to you and make it look like I had no no choice. But I'll get a nice payday. I don't know, that's just a thought. But I think it's significant that you know, clearly their defenses weren't enough and they needed someone thinking out the outside the box like Kaz. So that that was a question I came up with, you know, are the aces enough to defend this? Do they need more? You know, maybe Kaz at some point becomes an ace. We'll we'll see. Oh, one little tidbit, and I was glad to see this When Kaz and Greville and BB-8 are trying to get away from the the ship fire, Kaz has to pick up BB-8 and get through the the gap in the door. At least he's strained with the weight of BB-8, because that's one thing they've been really good at, is the consistency of how much he weighs. Because Kaz had trouble, remember in The Force Awakens, Ray had handed him to Finn when they were trying to hide in the falcon and you could see how heavy he was he's also been picked up and carried on forces of destiny so that that was just a neat little thing that they're they recognize that BB-8 is heavy and so the lingering question at the end of the episode when we get the tease of phasma and the first order and we find out that they were that they had hired the pirates you know why did they Why do they need the Colossus? Now granted it would be a good jumping point for fuel and uh, ship repair when they're getting ready to launch their invasion, which is implied in the opening crawl of The Last Jedi. But do they have a greater need for it beyond that? What's there that, besides the obvious, that they really, really want to the point where they would want um, Captain Doza, if he's not in, already in league with them, to hand over control. So that's a, I think that's a question that's going to go on for a few episodes. I also... It, it makes so much sense that the pirates were working with the First Order because of what I mentioned in previous episodes about Bloodline and Ren Riven-Dye's cartel and the Maxine Warriors... The First Order is using these other groups to help weaken the New Republic so that it makes it easier for their attack that we see in the movies. And Phasma says she had to be convinced of this by Major Von Rag and Commander Pyre. Well, since she's relatively new to the First Order, having been recruited by Brendel Hux, she wouldn't have been privy to possibly to those previous dealings and maybe Von Reg and Pyre are more seasoned and recognize no, this is what we need to do. Now like I say, the pirates probably would have been as successful if it wasn't for Kaz. So she's not totally right uh, when saying you know um, I I thought you would fail and you did. It's not totally accurate. So, to wrap it up, there there are lingering questions, you know, is the Colossus protected enough? What does the First Order really want with it? I like that we got a nice resolution with this current pirate attack being diverted, but there's still that threat and the questions to answer. And then Greville, he he got out alive, but his business with Kaz isn't over, so he's still around. So, good resolution, but there's plenty of teases for later. I would be interested to know what you think. Uh, You can find me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Radio Dakar, R-A-D-I-O-D-Q-A-R. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Again, Kevin Burke and Doc Wyatt, great job, guys. Again, let me know what you think about the episode. But I will be back next week reviewing the next episode of the early previews, and then after that, it's ones we haven't seen yet uh, by anybody. So I'm really excited to get to the next one, but I'm so glad I got to talk about this episode because I loved it. Until next time, may the Force be with you.